0: People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGoal to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights. Not long until domestic action returns after the international break, and that means we've got 10 fixtures to look at, plenty of markets to analyse, and maybe, just maybe, some value to be found. Here to help with all of that, as he always is, Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How are you, Jake?
1: Very well, thanks. Yeah, I'm really just looking forward to getting some domestic football back. This international break is draining.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially after what we had just before the international break started. <laughs> I, I, we said yeah. game week three was a bit Such weird. Such wasn't I, it? It was something else. I, I, I could not believe it. Yeah. I think we were texting each other as well, laughing about that, that Manchester United game and then obviously the Liverpool one that yeah. came after that. Um but let's let's look ahead then to to this week obviously we've we'll go through all the fixtures as we always do and and as we do week to week we've got our our predictions challenge, in spite of the craziness from from the last game week. I think Pinnacle got pretty lucky with their over two point five in the Arsenal Sheffield United game just a bit um, yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, there was the mo- a the drabest two-one I've ever seen,
0: but obviously then Pinnacle just missed out on that Manchester United win against Tottenham. Unfortunately, that was a, a <laughs> it was close, close game again there. <laughs> um, and yeah, info goals over two point five, and that one came in. I think it was about seven minutes in that the over two point five in Manchester United Tottenham came in for you guys. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, you on the the wrong end of some some bad luck in that Arsenal Sheffield United game because you guys obviously had the the under two point five, but. We won't dwell on those let's let's look ahead what's the what's the highlight fixture for you in terms of our prediction
1: challenge this week Well it's got to be the the Merseyside derby um obviously Everton are top of the table rightly so based on expected goals playing against their arch rivals and and the champions so really an exciting game um to kick the weekend off 12:30 kick off on the Saturday so yeah that's where we're going to go for for our standout game.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of choice and that's that's the obvious one. I think that would have been Pinnacles had you, had you not picked it, but Pinnacles gone for uh, Manchester City versus Arsenal. So we'll get onto that one in a little bit, but Everton versus Liverpool is actually our first game to start with. Um I mean, as you said there, Everton sitting top of the table, four wins from four. Dominic Calvert-Lewin seems to be scoring every time he shoots at the moment. Hammers Rodriguez is looking like the player everyone thought he could be and certainly talked up from the the very start of the season. Um, I think the defence isn't too bad for them, but the one weakness you have to say is Jordan Pickford has, has let them down a couple of times already this season. Liverpool are coming into it off a, a 7-2 loss to Aston Villa. That's Liverpool are coming into it a 7-2 loss to Aston Villa. Just repeat that one more um, time for me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know where to begin. Yeah, I don't know where to begin with that or, or how to explain it. It's It was clearly the worst defensive performance we've seen from Liverpool for, I mean, a good few years now. That I think they haven't really quite looked the same as last season at the back, but that was obviously just something else, an anomaly. I don't really know what it was, but it's... It's something that I think they can work on and address and, and obviously not try and carry into the next game. I think that they could be in danger if they're not really on it in terms of the defence because Everton have more quality than Aston Villa going forward and and it could be a real dangerous one for them if they're, they're not kind of on the ball at the back and, and Everton kind of manage to create some chances and, and we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, the market does have Liverpool as odds on favourites for this. one909 um, so they're at around 51% chance to get the win. Um, Everton a 4.0, so 25%. Um, and the draw has a 24%, probability of 4.07. Um, goal mark is three. It's the over that's heavily fancied by the betters. We'll get on to what Pinnacle's prediction says about that shortly. But a great game to get us started. The added pressure of a highlight fixture for you, Jake. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, this is should be a cracker, really. Um, hopefully we get... A little bit more entertainment than we have in the most recent Merseyside derbies at, at Goodison Park. I think we've had a, a handful of nil-nils pretty much uh, between these two teams in this fixture. But given the way both have started the season, obviously scoring plenty and, and leaking a fair few goals as well, you'd have to imagine that we, we could be on course with plenty of goals really uh, this time around. Obviously, Everton, uh, barring the 1-0 win at, at Tottenham, have, have racked up 5-2 score lines, uh, a 2-1 away win and a 4-2 home win. And obviously Liverpool... With a 4 3, a 2 0, a 3 1, and and that bizarre 7 2 that you mentioned there, that um, I don't think anyone really has come to terms with just yet. But yeah, I'll start with Everton because it's been really impressive what I've seen from them so far. Um, You know, admittedly, in terms of the schedule, Liverpool have definitely played the tougher uh, schedule so far this season. Everton's only real difficult game, um, according to the Infical model, was away at Spurs in the opener, um, which obviously they came through with fine colours. Really impressive in the way that they dominated the football match and, and created plenty of chances in that one. Uh, since then, though, they played a really stru- struggling West Brom team and, and you know comfortably hammered them. They went to Crystal Palace and, and got a, what was a decent win against a team that had just gone to United, Manchester United and won. Won that quite comfortably, although there was that um, dodgy penalty in there that, that quite a few pundits were you know, laughing at, at, the fact that it was given. But nonetheless, they won the XG battle, even without the penalties, um, I think it was around... 1.6 to 0.7 in Everton's favour. Um, and then against a Brighton team who, you know, we, they Brighton before the game against Everton and actually won the XG battle in every single Premier League match so far. And that, that included games against Chelsea, Manchester United, uh, as well as away at Newcastle. So for Everton to not only win the game, but actually win the XG battle, 1.9 to 1.4, was actually quite a, a decent marker, um, really, given, given the fact that we obviously rate Brighton really highly and, and they had performed really well against some of the league's uh, better teams so far so they're in a really good place obviously you mentioned the main man there Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously scored for England in the international break he's on fire at the minute six goals all of them have been non-penalty goals as well which is fascinating really because at the top of the charts obviously Jamie Vardy's near there with him and he's scored around four penalties I think so um, really impressive to see Calvert-Lewin getting on the end of good chances on a regular basis averaging 1.1 xG per average match in obviously a small sample size but you know 4.11 xg through four matches really is, um, you know, quite a feat, and it shows you how attack minded this this Everton team now is. They've got plenty of options, plenty of weapons. Obviously, Richarlison as well as an absolute handful. Um, James Rodriguez has brought in that added bit of quality and spark. And with the likes of Alan and Ducore, and uh, obviously Andre Gomez as well potentially playing, they've got real ability to control the midfield. So, I do think it's going to be a really interesting battle. Um, You mentioned they're the defensive side of the ball for Everton and and based on expected goals, they've conceded fewer than one expected goal per game so far this season. But as I mentioned, the matches that they have played have been arguably favourable. I mean, especially the West Brom game at home. Crystal Palace away. Crystal Palace, we spoke about them a lot uh, over the last season or two and, and the fact that they aren't really the best team um, going forward in, in attack and creating chances. So to see them concede few against, uh, very few chances against Palace was not really a surprise. Um, Brighton obviously caused them a few more problems, but it was, you know, th- there's only real positivity to talk about Everton. Um, really impressed with what we've seen. And as I said at the top, they deservingly sit top of the table based on our expected goal model. So their expected position is first, which is, um, you know, probably music to Everton fans ears because you know it's a team especially at the start of the season um top of the table after four games it isn't one of the big teams usually there's a little bit of fortune in there but that hasn't been the case at all for Everton Liverpool um where do we start the you know we're banging the drum after especially after the Arsenal game the fact that their performances have been um really impressive and you know the games against Chelsea uh, sorry Leeds in particular was a little bit of a uh, anomaly the fact that they conceded 3 goals from 0.33 expected goals went to Chelsea and allowed just 0.2 non penalty expected goals and then obviously against Arsenal um you know they dominated the match completely but they did let Arsenal create a couple of decent chances and um you know Jurgen Klopp's talked a little bit about the fact that he's playing a quite high line um and it's a risk reward kind of football but I did a little bit of digging and and it really is quite interesting the sort of thing that we found which is Um, based on XGs created for uh, well Mark Taylor did some great work and broke down the XG created into different categories so shots, headers whether it was from a fast break, whether it was from a a regular open play whether it was from a free kick, a corner um, other set pieces etc one on one Uh, and so far this season Liverpool have conceded 1.76 expected goals through one on ones now that doesn't sound like a lot, um, and it isn't a very. It's but it is quite a high percentage of the the chances that they've conceded. I think they've conceded around six expected goals. So one on one contributes to around give or take for forty percent of that. Uh, you compare that to last season, and Liverpool they conceded in total in thirty eight matches two point three five expected goals from one on one situations. So they're already. Pretty much at that total right now, and we're only through four matches. So while they are, they clearly are playing a higher line and playing more dangerously, but for whatever reason, at the start of the season, it isn't working. Um, and teams are getting in more regularly, uh, and you know, creating chances through that one-on-one and the high line. And that is something that you mentioned there—that the likes of Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison will be licking the lips at, really, um, at, at potentially trying to expose this high Liverpool line. Uh, and it is something that Liverpool have to be wary of because Aston Villa just. Tore them to pieces really uh, on in the, the last game before the break. Scored seven times from three point three five expected goals, but the big point really was the fact that they created six not big chances in that match, which is the highest that we'd seen um, from any team up until uh, or since Manchester City beat Watford 8-0. Um, and it's only Manchester City in, in recent Premier League history that have actually racked up six big chances, six non-penalty big chances in a single game. Uh, and they did that twice last season against Watford and Brighton. Uh, no other team has managed that. So that just sort of shows you how bad Liverpool were in terms of um, you know, the quality of the chances that they actually gave up to Villa on the day were were really high, and, and you know seven goals from those big chances wasn't actually um, you know too much of a clinical performance. A lot of work to do for Liverpool, but you know th- this is a really big game for them. I know that there's quite a been fair bit of money for Everton in the in the title market. I think that's a little bit premature. Um, if they go here, if they go out here and beat this Liverpool team, um, you know one or two nil maybe quite handily, or even if they just get the win, then fair enough. They, they probably are going to stamp their authority and uh, and potentially put themselves in that sort of Leicester mould of an outside title when Not quite 5,000 to 1 obviously but um, yeah, they, they've got every chance of doing so and I, I think that the, the the price available had Liverpool not lost 7-2 to Aston Villa and uh, obviously conceded a few decent chances against Arsenal as well through the same exact patterns then I would probably consider that, that price around Liverpool 51% chance of winning as a decent bet but given what we've seen from uh, from them in those two games in particular, and obviously what we've seen from Everton so far this season, I, I think that's a tad too short. And the model agrees, the model's got the Liverpool at 46% chance of getting the win at Goodison Park. Um, so we're, we're actually flagging up a decent amount of value in, in backing Everton or the draw um, in the double chance market. As I mentioned at the top, there are quite a few, I think Everton are unbeaten in four Merseyside derbies at Goodison Park. All of them have been draws and obviously a draw would, would see that bet land. So um, that's the bet I'm going to put forward is is Everton or the draw. Uh, decent, again, small amount of value there, 46% Liverpool win, 51% on the market. So you've got around a 5% margin, which is uh, decent enough. And um, I think, I know we've discussed where you're going, Ben, in terms of the pinnacle, Um bet for this but just could talk through the other markets over two and a half is really short understandably 62% um, chance of over two and a half given the amount of goals that we've seen these two teams involved in uh, so far this season the model does think that overs is more likely but uh, we do think that unders is the value play Uh, we're given a 45% chance of unders 38% chance on the market and as for both teams to score exactly the same the market is, is very strong on both teams hitting the net at 64% the model does think it's more likely than not that both teams will score in this, but given the prices available, the value does lie in backing both teams to score now. And, and you know, I'll repeat it again: there have been uh, three nil-nil draws in this fixture um, in, in the, the last three meetings. Um, so, both teams to score hasn't landed in any of those. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see something similar—a cagey Merseyside derby. But you know, ultimately, I'm expecting Everton to get something.
0: Yeah, no surprise given what you just kind of mentioned there that the pinnacle's actually taking the under. Always good to know that we're we're aligned with with Infogoals value on the the market, but certainly the recent fixtures, three nil nils and I think only three of the last twelve games have actually seen over two point five goals in the league. Um and obviously I think a lot of the thinking here as well is that looking for Liverpool to to bounce back and really kind of rectify those defensive errors and the the horror show that they put up in the last game. But two interesting picks and we'll have to see what happens i guess what one question i would have for you is the liverpool's defense we talked a lot about um how their their unique kind of style and setup limits the the quality of shots on goal that they take and the difference between their expected goals and, and from the shots on target kind of metrics is it potentially something where teams begin to find out how to play against them. I know Aston Villa, a lot of it was kind of through the flanks and, and playing out wide and, and a lot of their success came through that kind of style of play. Do you think we could see more of that or was it really just a a one-off game where, where Liverpool didn't show up and, and, and Aston Villa really took advantage?
1: I don't know, I think it's a bit of both. I think there, there is, there will be a, a style of play that will combat what Liverpool are doing. Um, But I do think that that Villa performance was a little bit of a one-off. I mean, game state definitely played into it. I think the fact that Villa went 2-0 up early definitely played into Villa's hands and it meant that the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson had to push on a little bit more. Obviously, their 2 fullbacks are two of the most creative players in in the Liverpool team and that obviously left quite a few gaps in in behind and and down the side of um, Gomez and, and Van Dijk. So there's definitely ways of, of playing against that Liverpool defense, um, but yeah, I think one of the you know I think something that you mentioned right at the start was the goalkeepers, and uh, I'm not too sure if Allison's going to be fit for this, and that could be a little bit of a problem for Liverpool because Adrian would be um, between the sticks. He's played once this season, obviously, and conceded seven times. Um, based on the xG of the shots that he faced, um, we expect him to concede around five times. So he actually. Letting two goals more than than what would have been expected for an average goalkeeper, um, and last season he was massively underperformed. Also in terms of the um, in terms of the, the the amount of goals that he allowed when he was in in for Allison, and likewise for Jordan Pickford at Everton, um, he's conceded five goals this season. But based on the on-target shots that that he's faced, he should have conceded closer to three. Uh, two point eight is is XG two. Um, so you've got two keepers in between the sticks that have been far from convincing, and you know i know i know we we've all, we've both agreed that the unders looks a good bet, but if you know if those two have days similar to what they have shown in recent weeks, then you know they could throw a couple in quite easily.
0: Well, I think we could talk to, talk about that game for for over an hour by itself, but we'll we'll get on to Chelsea versus Southampton. It is i mean it's another one we're probably in for a good game here. Chelsea got themselves a decent result against Crystal Palace with a four 0 win. Um, you look at the, the 2.96 XG and the the 0.14 conceded and you think, oh, that's a, a great performance, the one we've been waiting for. But there was two penalties in there, which is going to skew things a bit as well. Um, it has sorted out their process a bit, but I mean, now they're moving on to what's going to be a much more difficult game against Southampton. And I mean, it should be a difficult game, but I just there's a bit of doubt there creeping in for southampton with me now because we they they haven't quite been at it this season um they've managed to get a couple of wins but they haven't really looked great going forward and discounting that recent fixture against west brom they they haven't really looked too solid at the back either i think overall it's like a, a 1.38 xg four per game over one expected goal against per game 1.13 it is um I'm still expecting them to turn it around. I think maybe this is the game where we kind of see them show up and, and put in a decent performance. Um, but the odds do have Chelsea's pretty heavy favourites. Um, they got 64% win probability with their odds of 1.526. Southampton given just 16% chance of the win at 6.26. Um, and it's another one with a goal mark of three. Um, but in this case, it's it's the under that's edging it in terms of the action at the moment. As I said, I'm, I'm hoping for a good game here. What does what does the InfoGold model make of it?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a good game. Um, all the markets are priced up pretty competitively um, to what the InfoGold model predicts. Um, yeah, I, I've not been sold on either of these two teams really so far this season. Chelsea in particular, I know that they got that handsome win over Crystal Palace um, just before the break. But again, heavily reliant on penalties. They... Um, they racked up 3 expected goals but it was only 1.6 non sorry 1.4 non penalty expected goals in that match uh, against crystal palace so they are really struggling for for fluidity in, in in attack they're not creating much at all i think they're they're averaging around just over 1.1 non penalty expected goals per game this season which is um, quite a, a poor effort really given the fact that they've played against um, Crystal Palace, Brighton, two teams who finished in the bottom half last season, and obviously newly promoted West Brom, and the fact that they splashed all the cash on the you know the new shiny objects in attack. So, I mean, something we've spoke about again quite a lot: the fact that this Chelsea team does need time to gel, just need time to get used to each other, and um, Lampard does need time to figure out what his best team is. and Hopefully for Lampard, he's got a few of his key players back. Um, Christian Pulisic was close to playing in the Crystal Palace game, or he might have even come on in the Crystal Palace game. I don't know if Hakim Ziyech will be uh, available. Ben Chilwell should be well-rested. I uh, played for England. So, um, yeah, I think that Chelsea are rightly strong favourites to win. Uh, 64% on the model, 63%, 64% on the market. Again, priced up very tightly. Uh yeah, it's it's got the potential to be a tricky game, though. I mean, we 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 know what Southampton are capable of. They've shown already this season, especially in the first half against Tottenham, exactly what they can do when they're when they're at their the very best. They won the first half XG battle, one point four to zero point one in that match, and somehow went in at one one. Um, but we also know that they're capable of self-destructing as well, um, shown by the second half performance in which they conceded two point one expected goals. So there's you know the, the the main thing for Southampton after that match was getting points on the board. They've done that. They, they looked quite solid in doing that as well. They Limited Burnley to just 0.5 expected goals. Limited West Brom to just 0.2 expected goals. So it looks as though Ralph Harson Harsenhutl perhaps looked at that Spurs game, uh, maybe even the Palace game before that, where um, Southampton were caught out with pretty much the same kind of attacking movements. And it looks as though that, that Harsenhutl has maybe worked on that and tried to tighten things up a little bit but obviously that comes detrimental or has a detrimental effect on the attacking numbers and the, the exciting play that they're capable of, uh, of of doing so it'd be interesting to see what approach they take here I think that they I think that they they beat Chelsea quite comfortably last season in this fixture uh, it was a 2-0 win at Stamford Bridge so they, they are capable of going there and getting a result I wouldn't be at all surprised if they did manage that but given the fact that they look a little bit tighter at the back and Chelsea, they I mean the, the results suggest that they're not very tight at the back. But their performance against Palace I thought was really good from a defensive standpoint. They controlled the the Palace attack very well. Um obviously pinch of salt it was Palace. But yeah, the, the basically where, where I'm going with this is, is the the main value in this match is to oppose both teams to score. Uh, the market's got both teams to score around 58, 59%. The model goes 56%. So there's a small amount of value in, in opposing both teams to score um, and siding with both teams to score no. That for me is um, it, it's a decent enough bet. It's a big price as well, which um, makes it a little bit better. I, th- I think that it has got a chance in this. It, I think it really does. Obviously, as i have said that the model's only got a 44% chance of both teams to score no, but given the way that these especially Southampton look to have tightened up defensively um, it, you know it could be quite a frustrating game for Chelsea and it might be one of those where they have to sort of eke out a 1-0 win or likewise they could really struggle in attack as they've shown so far this season struggling to create uh, chances and, and Southampton could easily quite hit them on, on the break a few times so um, I think this is quite a well-balanced game between two teams that you know perhaps aren't very well suited to playing against each other um, so I'm happy to go with the both teams to score. No, the over/unders part priced pretty much spot on based on what the model's suggesting. So um, we've got a 61% chance of over two and a half. Markets at 62%, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this being a little bit more low-scoring, given um, you know Southampton's recent struggles in creating due to the defensive solidity and, and Chelsea's total lack of creativity um, when it doesn't come from a Jorginho penalty.
0: Right, well, let's get on to Manchester City versus Arsenal. I'm not quite sure what's up with Manchester City at the moment and I'm, I'm I'm to be honest I'm not really sure how easy the problem is going to be to fix because it has been there quite a while now as well They're they're giving up chances like a, a bottom half team at the moment it was another 2.71 xg to Leeds last time out in that 1-1 draw they've been averaging over two expected goals against across their three games this season now you mentioned earlier about Jamie Vardy's penalties so that it should be caveated by the fact that three penalties uh, of those expected goals were from that game against Leicester, but it's it's still pretty terrible for a team that should be challenging for the title or it should be there or thereabouts, should we say um, they have been without Aguero and Jesus um, haven't looked as strong going forward. I mean, it's difficult without an out and out striker. Um, those two are due to return soon. So they're obviously going to be hoping that maybe that helps them not just create more chances, but, but put the ball in the back of the net as well. Um, with Arsenal, I think they're, they're kind of rerunning last season at the moment, especially the early part of it anyway. Um, they're currently fourth in the table, but but playing like a mid-table team. It was a, a really poor game against Sheffield United. I mean, we were joking about that over 2.5 coming in, but Arsenal won the XG battle with a measly 0.54 expected goals. Neither side deserved to win, and a draw was probably the fair result there. But... Their overall process is exactly the same in terms of for and against. 1.35 expected goals for per game, 1.35 expected goals against. Um doesn't look great for them, and, and Manchester City are one of those teams that that could take advantage of that. Um they're pushing 70% chance of getting three points in the market. Um I think they're around sixty-eight percent at the moment. Their odds are one point four four five six. Uh Arsenal priced at six point eight two, so a fourteen percent chance to win for them. Um, Draw is available at 5.19, which is 18%. Betters at Pinnacle are keen on the over for this one and they've pushed it up a bit. We're at 3 and 3.5 at the moment. Maybe the angle here, Arteta's already done the business against Pep a couple of times. I know that's probably not enough for you to to give Arsenal much of a chance, but is there anything else in the the other available markets that interests you, Jake?
1: Mainly the goal market, really. I think the, the over 3.5 is... A tad too high. I know the you know the temptation is Man City are playing, so there's gonna be goals, but as you mentioned there, they're struggling to create chances at the moment. And Arsenal, for all their uh fortune and in getting results recently, they you know the, defensively they are looking a little bit tighter. You said they're around one point three five expected goals against per game. That's down from their their last season's tally of around one point five seven. So um, they are slowly improving at the back. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking more at the goal line and, and opposing over three and a half, really, as a best bet in this one. And, you know, Manchester City, you mentioned it there. What's going on with them? It's hard to put your finger on it, really. But is it a coincidence, you think, that City, Man United, Wolves in particular, haven't really got going so far this season? All three teams obviously played in the latter rounds of the the Champions League and Europa League. I think probably got something to do with it. Um you know that these teams have have had a well a, a much shorter pre-season. They've played an extra month, pretty much after the Premier League finished, um, and then they've had to get right and ready for Premier League fixtures straight away. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely got something to do with it. I think those teams will get better as the season progresses and, and they get up to speed. But the main thing or the main reason why I think the City have been struggling anyway in the last couple of matches is, is a lack of a of a striker. And I think hopefully. One of Jesus or Aguero will be available for this. Uh, they do need it, desperately. As I've said, they've struggled to create. They've averaged just uh, 1.38 non-penalty expected goals per game so far this season, which is uh, pathetic, really, from for, by Manchester City standards. Uh, last season, City averaged nearly double that, to put it in perspective. So, um, they're, they're not looking like themselves. Defensively, you mentioned there, they look a little bit vulnerable. Leeds really did um, deserve all three points in the last match against uh, at Ellen Road, created by far and away the better chances, 2.7 to 1.45 uh, in terms of XG in Leeds' favour. So, um, yeah, there's some serious problems there for for City. Obviously, you mentioned the Leicester game, that Leicester picked up 2.4 expected goals from penalties alone. Um, so, in terms of non-penalty XG, City only allowed 0.6 in that one, but... I think the, you know, the kamikaze defending to give away the penalties was perhaps the most concerning part of that result. Um, so, yeah, it, it's in, it'd be an interesting gauge to see what, where Man City are, are at, really. And, um, you know, we know Arsenal nowadays are going to play a deep line block just like a Burnley um, and try and hit you on the counter-attack. So it's an interesting match. Um, Arsenal not been impressed with them at all this season continue to just scrape by and um, you know get results that they don't deserve. At some point this season, that'll revert to the mean pretty much and um, and they will probably go on a, on a run of successive draws or defeats if the performances don't improve. Um, obviously, I mentioned on the last podcast that the win at Fulham, uh, while it did look impressive at the time, every week that goes by, that win looks less and less impressive as Fulham get beat more and more comfortably by pretty much everyone in the league. So, um, the result against West Ham was fortunate. They lost the XG battle um, 2.3 to 1.3 in that match. Obviously, they were scored by Liverpool. Um, and then against the Sheffield United team, who were winless heading into the match, managed to create just 0.54 expected goals. And, um, you know, and the clinical finishing really made the difference. I think they, they only managed, was it six or seven shots in that? Oh, yeah, six shots in that match against Sheffield United, which is a pretty measly pathetic um, tally and it is something that is a little bit concerning with Arsenal they they do they don't really take too many shots and um, you know I I, I know in particular some of the the chances that they do create are of of a higher quality but again you can't be reliant on taking um, the high quality chances when they come along because that is living and dying by uh, very small margins Uh, and it's something that in particular isn't very um consistent uh, or it can't be very consistent and replicable over the course of a season. So it'd be interesting to see how they sort of or how that sort of continues across the season for Arsenal but I think they're going to have a bit of a job on their hands against Manchester City. The only caveat to that is I'm I'm not too sure if Kevin De Bruyne is going to be available for for City. I know he pulled um he got pulled off by Belgium against England at the weekend um that would be a worry if he wasn't playing. I know they've got plenty of creative talent to, to fill in. You know, Bernardo Silva is now back. Mares, obviously, is available. Ferran Torres can play uh, the new signing. So, but nonetheless, obviously, De Bruyne is in a completely different level. And um, if, if he doesn't play, then Man City could have a bit of a problem, perhaps breaking this Arsenal team down. So, yeah, I'm siding with the under three and a half. Um, I think that the overs is a little bit too high, around 47%, 48%. The is at 45%. So it is a small value play, but a value play nonetheless.
0: And Pinnacle for this one's gone with minus one on Ooh. Manchester City. Now, I think that, that Kevin De Bruyne comment is, is very valid and probably going to be crucial to, to that selection. But also, I think if you think back to the, the Liverpool-Arsenal game, I think the selection was a similar one at Liverpool at, at minus one. So... Hoping for the same result, and and we'll have to see. And as always, these will be published across Twitter, and we'll we'll put the results up after the game week as well, and and keep tracking as we go along. We will get on to Newcastle versus Manchester United. Um, I don't think there's going to be many people out there that could argue for this game being worth fourteen ninety nine or whatever it is to to UK viewers. Uh, yeah. um, I think that may be based on games from the nineties and early two thousands, but they haven't been that great since and i'd love it
1: if we beat them <laughs> that's the only that's the only decade that i would probably pay 15 quid to watch this one
0: exactly yeah we have had a couple of upsets recently i think newcastle got a couple of wins and there was also a, a really decent game where where newcastle i think took a two or three goal lead or something like that and united clawed it back but in terms of this game united have obviously had a a, a really poor start to start to the season got even worse with that embarrassing performance against tottenham Sim- similar to the Liverpool one I think it's one of those you, you don't even really know what to say or how to explain it I mean the sending off was crucial but it seemed like even the second half United just came out and, and kind of gave up um, really surprising given the the end to the season they had last season as well but I guess now is a good chance for them to to bounce back against a, a pretty unpredictable Newcastle side they They started well against West Ham, then it was Brighton and it was a pretty poor performance and was it 3-0, I think, in that. Um, Tottenham then should have beaten them comfortably, but they got that dodgy penalty at the end. But then Newcastle then went and had a, a fairly easy win against Burnley. So up and down for them, some clinical finishing has helped them along the way as well. Obviously, that's not going to be sustainable and... I guess you have to be worried about Manchester United coming back and and trying to get that season going. The added motivation of making amends for the embarrassment against Tottenham. Um, All things kind of into the mix. Obviously, Manchester United are going to be favourites for this, but they're they're pretty short at 1.68. Newcastle, 5.09. So it's a nearly 60% win probability for the the away side and and 20% for Newcastle at home um 2.5 and 3 on the total goals market pretty evenly split at the moment is there any value here do you think
1: um very little uh, i think the the main thing that catches my eye is the high goal line um and potentially opposing that I've not been impressed at all with either of these te- these two teams so far um understandably so given the results and and the performances that we have witnessed but yeah, I mean something's got to give at some point for Manchester United. You have to think the the performances have been just tragic, really. Um, they were shocking against Palace, even worse against Brighton, and uh, and obviously against Spurs. But I don't think there's a term for that. Um, well, it's even worse than even worse? Mm. Well, terrible um, against Spurs. <laughs> the the you know the the irony is that they got off to the best possible starts. I mean one 0 up after a minute through a, a penalty, and then after that. They created just 0.2 expected goals um, in the <laughs> remaining 89 minutes, which is uh, really not like this Manchester United team. And you mentioned it there towards the back end of last season in particular. They were really impressive in, in their performances and, and obviously the, the results uh, were matching those performances. And so far this season, uh, you know they, they're fortunate to have even picked up any points really. They've lost the XG battle comfortably in every single match. Um, don't laugh, but um, United currently sits second bottom of our expected goals table. Um, only West Brom have performed worse and picked up fewer expected points so far this season than Manchester United. Just highlighting how how rubbish they've been. Um, you know, the, the performance against Spurs in particular. Are they in the, in the relegation markets? Um, I'm not too sure. I haven't checked the relegation markets. But <laughs> if they are, and if they are, maybe 100 to 1 or more. Um, no, I don't think they'll go down. Obviously, like I said previously about the Manchester City game, I think that those sorts those teams that, that did play late into the season and, and were deprived of a of a decent preseason, I think they'll come good eventually. I think they're just a little just just rusty and um, maybe even tired still. Uh, I think they only had maybe three or four weeks off before starting the season. The rest of the Premier League had two months off pretty much, so um, I think that's got something to do with it for sure. But yeah, that what we've seen so far from United has been nothing short of embarrassing, really. Uh, I think they've said on commentary as well the, in the Spurs game that even before the red card, there was a feeling that Spurs could really rack up a score. and uh, They were getting in at will, creating good chances at will. Um, and United's defending was just all over the place and uh, it continues to be one of the weakest uh, points of, of their team. And, um, you know, David De Gea, there's nothing, not too much he could have done really with... Um, with the chances that he, he's faced so far this season it, based on the on target attempts he's I've, i think it's 9.6 expected goals that uh, that he's faced and obviously he's conceded 11 goals um so he's slightly underperformed but still that 9.6 that he's faced is is the most um of any goalkeeper barring West Brom's keeper Sam Johnston based on the on target attempts so um De is not getting much help at all, uh, and they've obviously played a game fewer than most of the league. So, really worrying signs, and, and I think the most worrying for me, just looking at, again, the, the the data that I mentioned before that Mark Taylor sent, which breaks down the, the XG into different categories, is that 70% of the expected goals that Manchester United have actually conceded has come from big chances. So, that tells me that when they do concede a chance, it does have a higher probability of being scored. I mean, we, we register a big chance as having a, a, around a 35% chance of being scored or an XG of 0.35. So, um, you know, that's a major area that United need to improve on is is limiting or when they do face shots and chances is, is getting something on, on on the chance to, or bodies behind um, to reduce that big chance from around 0.35 to the likes of 0.1 and obviously the, the goalkeeper then has a much better chance of saving it. So, major concerns. Um, You would have to hope that Solskjaer will have looked at that in the international break and and looked at the defensive issues and tried to sort things out and and tighten things up a little bit. And, you know, there there isn't really a a better team for Man United to be playing than Newcastle who, obviously, going back to last season, they they were one of the worst attacking teams in the Premier League. They've made some uh, nice additions in the window, obviously, bringing in the likes of Callum Wilson and, and Ryan Fraser and um, yeah, they've created a few more decent chances this time around in matches, but um, you know, on the whole, they are quite usually quite a blunt um, a blunt team, and especially when they play in their more defensive minded back three system or back five system as they did at, at Tottenham most recently. Um, you know, playing a back five for, for more solidity and still conceding three and a half expected goals isn't really the way um, that, that football should be played. Against Newcastle, uh, sorry, against Burnley, much more adventurous and attacking. Played a back four, got more attacking players on the pitch, and you know what? Do you know you win the game quite comfortably? So yeah, I don't know. I think they've got, like I said at the top of uh, in the season preview podcast, I think Newcastle have got the players to be a real pest to quite a few teams this season. But it's just all about the the way that Steve Bruce sets them up, and um, and you know I'm hoping for the. Entertainment of the the five people that actually pay for this game that Newcastle pay a player back for and um and I take the game to Manchester United because if they do that and obviously that what we've seen from United so far has been nothing short of embarrassing defensively Newcastle could cause them all sorts of problems so um be interesting to see what the lineups are and, and what sort of approach Steve Bruce does take uh, the the market is siding with the over two and a half at fifty four percent. Uh, The model actually thinks that we could be in for a low scorer. um, 48% chance of over two and a half. So, decent value in backing, under two and a half there. Um, I I won't put anyone off that. I think that this could be quite a a tight, cagey game. I think Bruce will set up with a back five. um, In which case, I don't expect Newcastle to threaten too much. United, um, they haven't yet clicked in attack. Like I said, their performances so far, 1.3 expected goals against Palace. 1.1 non-penalty expected goals against Brighton and then just 0.2 non-penalty expected goals against Tottenham. So they really are struggling to create good chances. So the unders does appeal to me, as does opposing both teams to score. Uh, The market's quite strong on that 55% chance. Again, understandable given United's defensive issues. The uh, the market's expecting Newcastle to get on the score sheet. Models at 48% chance of both teams to score. So value in opposing that as well. But for me, the best bet is is with the under two and a half. One x two is priced up exactly how the model has around fifty eight percent chance of United win. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to, to. It's a good test, really, for United to gauge where they're at and whether they are capable of kicking on and, and potentially getting back on foot on track. But from what we've seen so far this season, that looks unlikely.
0: And I mean, we were joking about United and, and relegation and stuff like that, but. With the likes of um of Everton playing quite well and I mean Liverpool and Manchester City kind of losing and not looking great as has really kind of messed things up as well. But do you still have Manchester United as, as most likely for that, one of those top four spots? Yes,
1: yeah, so if you go onto the InfGoal website or, or app and, and go to the competitions page, click the Premier League, you can see the full expected table and uh, and it shows you expected goals for against expected goal difference. But also shows you the expected position. So where the team deserves to be based on performances so far and the forecast position which obviously takes into account the points that you've already accumulated as well as simulating the remainder of the uh, the what are we are now 34 matches uh, based on our ratings and and creates an expected points total so you can see where where a team is expected to be finishing based on based on uh, our model and currently we have got man united still um in fourth based on uh, expected points. Stats drop down, actually. They were they were forecast third at the start of the season. They dropped to fourth. And if you continue playing the way that they are, then, um, you know, I've got no doubts whatsoever that, that they will continue dropping down that forecast table uh, as the rating deteriorates and obviously as, as the rest of the teams around them pick up points.
0: So our next fixture is Sheffield United versus Fulham. A really important game at the bottom of the table, really, albeit after, after four games. But um, both teams have played for, lost for, I think it's fair to say that out of the two of them Sheffield United have probably been the more unfortunate. Their their process is still all right, okay I guess. It's it's not what it was last season as I said only four games into the season things things could be a lot worse for them I think at least the performances are there because on the other side of it you've got Fulham who who look like they could roll over for anyone this season. It's it's difficult to find any positives in their performances. It, it feels like they're going to have a job on their hands to stay up, and that, it's kind of difficult because the the excuse for Sheffield United is, oh, we're only four games in; they can turn things around, or they'll they'll kind of regress a little bit and get those results. Whereas Fulham, it's we're only four games in, but it's it's difficult to see any way out for them. Um, the market has Sheffield United as the favourites here, forty seven percent chance of getting their first win of the season. So their odds two point one three. Uh, Fulham around 24% at 3.91. If you think both of them are going to stay winless after five games, you can get the draw at 3.39 or, or 29%. It's a, a low total on the board at 2 and 2.5. Betters really like the under for this one. and it. I mean, for me, it could be a game where Sheffield United get a little bit lucky or get the fortune that they need in front of goal and, and maybe put a past few Fulham to, to get that confidence up.
1: Um, but what do you think for it? i uh, pleasantly surprised man I'm not gonna use that term being a Sheffield Wednesday fan but pleasantly surprised to see uh Sheffield United priced the, the way that they are and you know I'll be like I said even though I'm fan of the team at the other side of, the, of that city I do think that, that there is good value in backing Sheffield United here and I think the the key really is is the fact that they haven't won yet and that has a lot of um, seems to have had a lot of a, an, an, a big impact on the, the market and the way they the price this one up I think if United would have won one of those matches or maybe even drawn that game against Arsenal for example then the price I would ex- I would have probably expected them to go off as odds on favourites here um, and the model has got them quite considerable favourites actually at 59% chance um, of getting three points so you've got around a 12% margin of value there which is exceptional really and, and something that should be snapped up um, it's I think this is probably one of the biggest games of the weekend for for these two teams to be winless after four matches um and desperate for points. I think the the you mentioned it there the the manner of the defeats of Sheffield United haven't been as as catastrophic as, as what Fulham have faced. You would also have to argue that that Sheffield United have well, they've, they've played pretty much the same teams, haven't they? they? I'm just looking at the the fixtures. They've they've played identical fixtures, um, so you, you can compare the performances quite quite well. Uh, they both played Wolves, Villa, Leeds, and Arsenal. Um, obviously, Field United were really unfortunate to come away empty-handed from the Emirates after a decent defensive display. Fulham just capitulated at the hands of Arsenal on the opening day. I think it was around 2.2 expected goals conceded in a 3 0 defeat. Um, So Sheffield United were much more competitive in that game. Losing 1-0 at home to Leeds in a game that they deserved to win. Uh, Compare that to Fulham, who went 4-1 down before rallying and and racking up an XG total. Uh, Again, I'd probably put more stock in in, in Sheffield United there. Losing away at Aston Villa did Sheffield United, despite being down to 10 men, 1-0, conceded no big chances. Um, Compare that to Fulham, who again got absolutely hammered by Villa, 3-0 in that match. Uh, and obviously, the game against Wolves, Sheffield United were down two 0 early doors, and and Fulham were a little bit better than um, than that in in that in their game against Wolves. But you'd have to say that, that Sheffield United's performances really have, have been much better than Fulham's against exactly the same teams. So um, that's shown in in the expected goals table as well. Sheffield United sit 13th in our expected goals table, despite sitting second bottom on on actual points. Fulham they should be a little bit higher based on our on our. Um, expected goals model based on expected points although I will caveat that with the fact that the two teams that they should be above Manchester United and Burnley have have played a game fewer so if you're looking at expected points per game then Fulham would be second bottom um, on our expected table ahead of just West Brom so um, yes there's serious problems at Fulham defensively they look all over the place obviously as I mentioned they they looked a little bit better against Wolves 1.5 expected goals against in that match Uh, but you know they continue to have issues in attack as well as defense, and that is is crucial, really. And Sheffield United have looked much better, um, as I mentioned the Villa game in particular. I was quite impressed. Obviously, they didn't create too much other than the penalty, but the way in which they they defended and and really limited Villa to pot shots um, and long range efforts was quite impressive. And then um, you know they got a sucker punch by Leeds in in a game that probably they should have won uh, at the very least should have got a draw. And then obviously the game against Arsenal, so. Uh, there's been quite a lot of positives for Sheffield United, even though the, the results suggest otherwise. And it's hard to say the same for Fulham. So i um, more than happy to, to put up Sheffield United as, as a huge value bet, really, at the prices available. Um, like you said there, the goal total is low. Um, the model thinks perhaps should be a little bit lower. We're 62% chance of under two and a half. Models at uh, The market's at 58%. Both teams to score again. Uh, both teams to score yes on the market is at 50% or 51%, which is... Really, really uh, really interesting and, and suggests that the, there is an equal amount of value to the Sheffield United win bet uh, in backing both teams to score no. We're given a 62% chance of that happening. Market, obviously, a four, 49 50% chance of both teams to score no. So a low scoring home win um, is, is what we're going for.
0: Well, on to Crystal Palace versus Brighton then. and I mean, this one is down. I don't think it gets much more evenly split according to a betting market. We've got Crystal Palace at 2.79 for the win. Brighton at 2.79 for the win and the draw is 3.32. So that's 35% win probability on each side and then 30% for the draw. Obviously, this, uh, these are the odds at the time of recording, so they may well change there. But I mean, it's pretty incredible how, how even Pinnacle has that one. Um, Crystal Palace have looked... Uh, I mean, they've, based on results, Crystal Palace have looked a bit better than than Brighton this season. But... Brighton is still one of those teams. I, I personally think they're they're being underrated. I think you mentioned earlier about them winning the XG battle in most of their games. Um, they did enough to to win against Chelsea. Obviously, certainly did enough to win against Manchester United. Four two scoreline against Everton. I mean, it it was closer than that. And and I mean, I think if you rerun those games again, you'd be more likely to see Brighton close to the top top six rather than the bottom six where they actually are. Um. I mentioned about Palace maybe looking a little bit better this season, but it doesn't really take much to improve on where they were last season. They've they've brought in some <laughs> they've brought in some attacking talent. Um it's one of those ones that maybe it's gonna take a little while to click, but they're gonna need it because they're they've been pretty I mean it's woeful going forward already this season. Just one point zero eight XG per game at the moment. Um that is kind of relegation zone performance levels and after 38 games, if you're still at that kind of level, you're you're more than likely going to be struggling to stay in the league. Um, as I said, it's a a very tight one to call from from Pinnacle's perspective in terms of what the odds are in the betting market. Do you have it at the same, or is there is there some value on offer here? Uh,
1: we've got small value in actually back in Crystal Palace, um, which is quite interesting because obviously we're in for bang the Brighton drum pretty much every week. Uh, we think they are the better of the two teams, which is. Uh, basically what the market is saying the market is saying that Brighton are the, the better of the two teams even with crystal palace's home advantage um so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting i think it's dubbed the uh, m23 derby so <laughs> um you know the only probably one of the only matches to be named after a motorway i think it's going to be an interesting game these are all these are always quite tight these matches between these two teams there's, there's um there's quite a rivalry really between them um and the fan bases but like you said so far this season it's it's really hard not to be impressed with what brighton have done you mentioned there they should be closer to the top of the table they sit 7th in our expected goals table based on performances so far crystal palace sit 15th so uh, brighton have been much better than crystal palace and they've played the uh, you know arguably a tougher schedule as well having to play uh, manchester united everton and um chelsea as well as newcastle so <laughs> Uh, I guess Crystal Palace has, has been um, a fairly tough start as well. Southampton, Man United, Everton, Chelsea, pretty much identical again, the fixture list. So um, it, it, I think I've been impressed by both in different uh, aspects. I think Crystal Palace, they really did impress me against um, Manchester United and Southampton. Obviously, they got the wins, but the performances in both of those matches were actually really impressive in, in the way that they um, set up. A four-four-two um, with Zaha as a free spirit, and and the way that they counterattacked and their organisation, the counter-attack was really impressive. Um, against Everton and Chelsea, though, they struggled to get going in attack. And I know that Everton went two-one up through a controversial penalty, but after that, while Crystal Palace did have quite a few ball of the uh, quite a bit of the ball and they get into some decent positions, they really struggled to create any uh, chances of note. Just zero point seven expected goals. Chelsea were at zero point. Uh, at Chelsea, they created just 0.14 expected goals, so that was probably one of the worst performances that they've put in in a long time. To be that toothless in front of goal, um yeah, I think Brighton have got the capabilities of doing something similar to them here because the the way that they play, they keep the ball, um they win the ball back in, in areas high up the pitch, high turnovers, and, and obviously that can lead to, to chances, good chances. And we saw that actually against Everton, where I think it was a. The, the the first goal with more where they won the ball quite high up um and resulted in quite a big chance for Morpie who scored and, and you're right to say that, that the 4-2 was a little bit of a harsh scoreline really on Brighton and, and the game was a little bit closer than that. So um yeah there's a lot of positives for Brighton to take but equally the way in which they play is is similar to what we said about Liverpool, that risk reward, that fine balance that you know they play out from the back they are quite fearless in that. But Crystal Palace will be sniffing opportunities. And, um, you know, even when Brighton are perhaps higher up the pitch, leaving plenty of space in behind for for the, the pace of, of Palace could be quite dangerous. So the model thinks that the, the the value placed is to back the home team, really. And that basically tells me that the model rates Crystal Palace higher than the market, but not as high uh, as Brighton. So these two teams are rated quite closely on the model. But with the home advantage, Crystal Palace are, are, are favoured to get the victory and we make them 39% chance of, of coming out with the three points. So value on Crystal Palace to win. Over-unders priced up exactly um, exactly as the market is, and it's the same with the teams to score. So the only real bet is, is Crystal Palace. And, and I would say it's quite a tentative bet because I personally do rate Brighton quite highly and I wouldn't at all be surprised to see them go to Palace and pick up quite a convincing win. But the model is going with a Crystal Palace victory. Um, that's where the value is and, and it is quite a big price.
0: Yeah, I must admit that is a, a surprising one to me. And that's one game I'm I'm certainly interested to see what happens. Um another game that I'm obviously interested in or, or invested in is is Tottenham versus West Ham. Um look, they're two teams coming into this full of confidence. I think it's early doors, but Spurs are looking much better than last season. It was really creating chances that that was these the struggles for them and Obviously, we can't get too carried away with that massive win against Manchester United, but you then go back to the the draw against Newcastle. They created plenty of chances in that. The impressive result against Southampton, albeit clinical in front of goal, they did create the chances again. Um, West Ham. I don't even. I don't think you can say they look better than last season. They look like a completely new team. I think um, the sign. There were signs of improvement, I guess, for them after lockdown with with Mick and Antonio leading the line, but. The last two results against Wolves and Leicester, they've been nothing short of incredible considering the level that West Ham were at last year. 4-0 and 3-0, notching 4.72 in expected goals and conceding just 1.2 over two games against Wolves and Leicester. I mean, it's it's pretty good going. I think now it's, we all know, and, and a lot of people who, especially fans of West Ham's, but anyone who watches the Premier League, they're, they're capable of slick, slipping back to... The level that they were at, um, I mean, it's been two years that they were kind of relegation contenders and struggling. So to say after two results that things have changed is obviously foolish, but this one could be a big test of where they're at at the moment. Um, the betting market gives them just 17% chance of winning. Um, so that's according to their odds of 5.79. Tottenham priced at 1.621. So that's a, a 60% win probability according to the market. Feels a little bit short, um, but it's... It, it's also interesting for me to see a fairly high goals total of, of three on the board. Um, it is the under that's getting the most bets at the moment and, and that is dropping down. It's a really interesting game, Jake. Two teams maybe to to start to turn things around at, at different points of the table, but turn things around nonetheless. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I think it could be a really, really good game. Um, <laughs> both teams obviously coming in the, into this on the back of really impressive victories, that, like you said, the the six one win at Manchester United is, uh, well, it was fully deserved on the day. Obviously, uh, the level of performance was exceptional, but it was against a Manchester United team that do look like the fal- faltering a little bit. Whereas West Ham, in particular, the wins over Wolves and Leicester were. Fantastic. Um, and it followed on from a, a, a defeat at Arsenal in which they deserved to get all three points. So, three matches now we've seen West Ham um, be really impressive and win the XG battle. So, it really, really intrigues me to see what we're going to get from them. And, you know, we, you look at our early expected goals table, and Spurs sit second in there. So, um, unfortunate not to be sat on nine points with obviously that, that late penalty against Newcastle costing them all three. Uh, but West Ham sit fourth in our expected goals table at this early stage. So, and that is given the fact that they probably had the the hardest or most difficult fixtures to start the season. Um, you know, barring Newcastle playing Arsenal, Wolves and Leicester, three of last season's top eight um, already. Obviously, they've got Tottenham and I think it's Manchester City after that. So, they, it doesn't get any easier for West Ham. But the fact that they're getting these results against, um, you know, teams that finished quite high up in the table last season and in our expected goals table last season, uh, bodes really well Um Yeah, I think this is going to be a really competitive game. I think that the market is understandably buying into Spurs, given the the most recent results. Five-two win at Southampton, in which they racked up two point two expected goals, um, was obviously they were shocking in the first half. I mentioned that earlier, but in the second half they were really, really impressive. Uh, And then since then they've they've just carried that on really and um, three and a half expected goals against Newcastle they racked up allowed just zero point three non penalty expected goals in that match and then obviously at Manchester United three point seven expected goals um, to just zero point two non penalty expected goals so the last two performances in particular have been um, simply incredible um, from a Spurs standpoint and does suggest that Mourinho perhaps has has found a formula Um, I think something that we mentioned a couple of pods ago that the, the sign of Sergio Reguilón in particular was one that really um, piqued my interest and was one that I do think is is a massive upgrade and a massive um, signing for them because not only is he really good going forward, but defensively he's quite, he's a very solid left-back. Um, Sergio Aurier has been getting the nod instead of Matt Doherty as well, which I think is quite been quite interesting but understandable because I think again that's something that I've said on these this podcast that Doherty I think it was um was made to look good by the system that he was playing in at Wolves. And and unless you're gonna play a back three, I don't think you're gonna get the best out of him. So Aurrier has been playing there and obviously got his goal at Old Trafford. Really good attacking threat. But um overall Spurs have really impressed me in the last couple of matches in, in the setup, the approach. Um I really enjoyed Eric Lamella's performance, apart from the you know, the the antics from They got Marshall sent off. He was exceptional in in his high press. Be interesting to see if he keeps his place. Obviously, Gareth Bale could well be fit. Um, Another big name uh, attacking player to bring in if if Mourinho wants to. So they've got options. Um, They're in a really good place, and um, so far this season, the performances have been pretty good. Um, Same for West Ham. They've they've got options now um, in, in attack. Obviously, they lost Felipe Anderson, but it looks as though they're going to be bringing in another wide player. Whether they need to or not is another question, because Jared Bowen's playing like Diego Maradona. Um, he's been excellent and really difficult to play against. He's, he's um, you know, I've a couple of West Ham fans uh, that are friends of mine, and, and they're basically saying that Bowen is is a better Robert Snodgrass. He's reliable, consistent, um, and very, very dangerous, creative, uh, creative, and obviously very capable of, of scoring a few goals himself. So they've they're, they're, they're found a little formula I don't know if David Moy should maybe stay on the Zoom calls um, to Alan Irvine that seems to have, uh, really improved their, their performances and, and results but overall I'm expecting quite an entertaining game I think the, the main value play really is, is perhaps getting getting after Spurs and, and I think the market in particular although they're buying into what Spurs have done so far and perhaps overreacting to that scoreline of 6-1 maybe underestimating what West Ham are capable of doing. And um, yeah, so you'll be pleased to hear that the, the, the Infacold model is putting up West Ham or the draw as, as the main value bet, really. We're giving Spurs just a 54% chance of winning compared to 61%, so 7% margin. Um, West Ham or the draw for me does look quite quite a big price given what they've what they've done so far. And I think if you remember back to last season, the back end of last season, they, they lost 2-0 at Tottenham, but it wasn't a 2-0 game really. Spurs didn't create anything up until the own goal from I think it was Suchek um, and then after that obviously Kane scored with a with a counter-attacking goal so yeah I think they're, they're more than well-matched for this Tottenham team or West Ham and I think that they could really spring a surprise uh, the over and uh, 2.5 and both team score both priced up very tightly by the market so yeah I'm, I'm going with West Ham or the draw in this Always glad to hear it Jake of course all right, then. So
0: next we've got Leicester versus Aston Villa. We, we talked about the, the big win for West Ham against Leicester. Um, they're another team that probably fall into that category of looking to bounce back after the international break. Aston Villa are, are completely opposite, obviously, hoping to keep things going after what we've labelled the, the ridiculous 7-2 win against Liverpool. Um, in the table, it's it's third versus second. I don't think either side deserve to be quite that high. I mean, we are only three, four games in for these two sides. Leicester were were much the better team last season. Um, despite what we saw in game week four, you, you you still have to say they are the better side out of the two. And and the market does reflect that. Their, their odds are on at 1.892. Um, so that's a 52% chance for them. We, we've also seen quite a lot of money come in for them as well. So almost the opposite of people reacting to to the big win for Villa. Um, they are currently at 4.21, and that's a 23% chance of getting another three points. Um, the totals at three as well. Uh, the under's quite heavily favoured in that market, though, and and there isn't really much interest in the over. Um, what does the what does the goal model say about this match-up, then? Uh,
1: quite surprised. The model model's quite surprised at the price of Leicester. Um, we think they should be a lot shorter, really. Uh, I'm a little bit sceptical of that myself, given what we've seen from uh, Aston Villa, not just so far this season, but also post-break last season. Uh, defensively, they looked exceptional post-break and they have sort of carried that on this time uh, this season as well just conceding 0.97 to Sheffield United that's expected goals 0.8 to Fulham and then obviously 1.75 to Liverpool but no um, you know that's probably a decent result against Liverpool to allow them to just create just that many Um, so yeah a little bit surprised that we've got Leicester so heavy favourites but so far this season they have made um, you know light work of, of the lesser teams really you know They struggled to get going against West Brom before coming on strong and winning comfortably in the opening day. At Burnley, a couple of clinical finishes put them in control in that match. Um, and then obviously against Manchester City, they counter like crazy to get a, a comfortable win. Uh, the only real interesting result, I guess, was the one last time out against West Ham where they were just simply rubbish and struggled to create anything um, whatsoever while conceding. A ton of chances, really, um, getting caught on the counter attack. And I think if Villa play in a similar way to West Ham, they could have a lot of joy. Um, you know, they, I think that Villa and West Ham are probably quite similar teams in the sense that they've got quite a solid central midfield base now. Um, you know, that's capable of doing all sorts. Really, they've got Douglas Louise who's been excellent. Just brought in Ross Barkley as well, who I think is a fantastic signing for them. Um, gives them nice balance in that midfield, and obviously you've got the likes of Grealish and, and Trezeguet who can make runs in behind. Uh, Burton Traore can come off the bench so they're a very dangerous team are Aston Villa and, and I think that we could be in for um, potentially a bit of a high scoring game like I said though the, the model does fancy Leicester to get the three points get back to winning ways a lot of value in backing them as well so um, it, you know it's something I can get on board with Leicester to, to get the three points 63% chance compared to the 52% on the market um, but they're going to have to be at the very best defensively if, if that is to be the case like I said though the overs does make um, a fair bit of appeal it's a fairly short price. The model goes uh, 63% chance of over two and a half goals. Markets at 58-59% uh, chance. Um, so there is small value there in, in back in the over two and a half, and, and that's probably the way I would sway. Um, I do think that that Leicester perhaps should be a little bit shorter than what they are, uh, but I do think the model perhaps or potentially hasn't quite just caught up with just how um you know how much Villa have improved over the last 10 uh. 10, 12, 13 matches since the break. So um yeah, I think it'd be a tentative back of Leicester at odds on, but over two and a half would be a stronger play.
0: Yeah, well, Aston Villa's improvement, it is is it's very clear for everyone to see, not just the results, but the performances as well. Is there when you look at their the way they're playing and, and stuff like that, is there can you kind of put your finger on what they've changed? it seems like the defence has kind of been really key and and it feels like that that period of time, the a couple of months that they had must have just been pure defensive work, stability and structure at the back. And they've always had kind of a, a fairly decent uh, outlet going forward. And obviously, Grealish is crucial to their success as well. But what what's kind of caused such a, a stark improvement in their results and performances?
1: The the, the most impressive thing, I think, was, um, was post-break, that 10 matches post-break. Dean Smith obviously worked really hard um, to get his team more organised. I think they, they did sacrifice some attacking flair in that. Um, and that they, they weren't creating too many good chances. I think they averaged around one expected goals against um, per game through that last ten matches, but their attacking process was around one point one expected goals for per game. So they were they were picking up results uh, through fine margin victories based on expected goals. Um, what what I've seen more this season is obviously they've spent a bit of money. They brought in Matty Cash, who looks a really solid right back. Um, I like what I've seen from him so far. More importantly, I think they brought in a really good goalkeeper in Emmy Martinez. Wasn't didn't come cheap around twenty million pound, but based on expected goals uh, from on-target shots faced last season, he was the second biggest overperformer um, behind only Hugo Lloris last season for Arsenal. This time around, I um, think he started pretty much the same. Based on the, the shots that he's faced, and and you know the the dip, the swerve, the placement, etc., we calculate that those shots equate to around three point four expected goals. He's conceded only twice from those goals, so although it's obviously a really small sample size, just the three matches, he he has saved Aston Villa, um, you know, quite a few a, a goal and a half already um, so far this season. That's quite a key key thing for them. I think the Douglas, Douglas Lewis is, looks a, a really steady player. He's finally settled in. I think the the return from injury of John McGinn as well is could, could be quite crucial to their um, their improved solidity. And as I said, I think the signs this season. Um, have been really impressive. Obviously, Ollie Watkins coming in has made an instant impact. But Pope uh, towards the back end of last season, I think it was just the, the lack of rotation. I think if you remember to the early parts of uh, of last season, Dean Smith did make quite a few changes to his backline uh, pretty much every week, just trying to find the right formula. Um, I think he found that and he stuck with it. Obviously, Conter and Mings look really selly, really steady at centre half. Matt Target is a is nailed on as the left back. I think that helps all always. And and you know they're playing with confidence now and given the way they've started the season, obviously they've played um, Sheffield United and Fulham so far alongside Liverpool. Be interesting to see how they do against teams that, you know, mid table teams, the likes of um, West Ham or or, um, or Leeds, see how they get on against the, those slightly better teams. But the early signs are really impressive for Villa.
0: So now we've got West Brom versus Burnley. And I mean, this is out of all the great fixtures we've got. I think this is where we're kind of paying the price for it. It's, uh, two of the league strugglers, West Brom in 17th and Burnley in 18th. And I think West Brom were one team that, that everyone had in the relegation mix at the, the start of the season, whereas Burnley was one that, I mean, me and you talked about it. We couldn't quite work out why they featured so prominently in the, the relegation markets. But, I mean, you have to say the performances we've seen kind of show why, why they were in that mix and, and they do deserve to be down there uh 1.8 xg4 for west brom and, and 2.4 xg4 for burnley um that's not a single game that's the that's their their xg for the season so far in attack uh burnley have obviously played one less game as well but it's it's still pretty poor and i think even worse for west brom you touched upon it earlier they've conceded 10.4 expected goals over their four games and We'll get on to, to Fulham. We spoke about Fulham, but it's you have to have those two as as odds on down the bottom, I think. and um, Burnley aren't too far behind. And I mean, if they don't get a result here, I think it's going to be alarm bells ringing there as well. Um, Pinnacle has got it pretty evenly split. West Brom are the favourites at 2.58. Um, Burnley are 2.98. So that's a 38% chance for West Brom, 33% chance for Burnley. Uh, we've got a 2 and 2.5 on the total goals market. Betters are leaning to the over on that one despite the struggle that these two have had in front of goal and, and maybe it's it's West Brom's defence that is kind of driving that if we're looking for something. But are either of the two sides worth the win here or is it going to be as, as dull as it looks on paper?
1: It could well be very dull, uh, but I do think that Burnley are worth backing at the prices. It's, uh, it, it does continue to baffle me the fact that they go off at these huge prices, especially away at West Brom who are shipping goals left and right and... To be honest, look—you um, know—look well below the standard required at this level. Um, their performances, West Brom, have, have been simply shocking in attack and defense. Uh, the fact that they, they've created just, you said it there, 1.8 expected goals in four matches is, um, you know, incredibly poor. And you couple that with the, the shocking defense as well, at 10.4 expected goals against per game. So they, they've got serious problems. They're allowing around two and a, 2.25 expected goals against per game, or just over that defensively they look woeful and and burnley have the tools to to cause problems and you know it's something that we spoke about a lot um the fact that burnley have you know they've been missing key players for months and months um and it's only recently especially uh, probably the the game most recently against newcastle where you start to see the the players returning obviously uh, tarkovsky was back for that game which was huge for them um they're still missing ben mee but Ashley Barnes played in that match as well for 80 minutes, got uh, minutes in his legs. But then you look at the bench, which, um, as I mentioned in in a couple previous podcasts, in their opening match against Leicester or Southampton, the bench was made up of uh, academy graduates, basically. There's still a fair few on there, but you look at the bench now and it does all of a sudden look a little bit stronger. You've got Johan Goodmanson back fit, Matej Vidra obviously making the bench, Eric Peter's on the bench, uh, Robbie Brady as well, who's now back fit, Uh, and Jimmy Dunn, who's obviously played uh, quite well at centre half in Tarkovsky's absence. So it's all starting to come together now in terms of getting players back fit for Burnley and it's just really now is about getting uh, points on the board and I think this is a really good opportunity for them to do so. Uh, Any team will be licking the lips of the thought of playing West Brom at the moment and Burnley should be no different. They've got all the tools capable uh, more than capable of, of breaching West Brom a few times, and um, you know defensively they, they they continue to look solid. I think the there's been a, a bit of an overreaction again to to burn these results and performances against Leicester. They actually won the XG battle narrowly, one point three three to one point four three. Four um, two defeat was really harsh against Southampton. Again, the XG totals were very very similar, zero point five to zero point five five, and against Newcastle, obviously. They didn't create too much, 0.43 expected goals, but um, they didn't concede too many either barring the penalty, 1.1 non-penalty expected goals. So all the matches so far have been quite tight based on expected goals. This could well be similar, but I do think that Burnley have got the more quality to get the win, and you know, I'm more than happy to put them up as um, as a as a value bet and a big price value bet at that. We're giving them a thirty-eight percent chance of of winning the market, markets at thirty-three percent. So Burnley to win is, is where we're gonna go. And I think that Again, I, I say it again. I, I do think that the market it, just because they're not a very attractive name. It seems as though they, they sort of um, they're a big price every single week, no matter who they play against. You know, they were two to one at Newcastle. They were over two to one at home to Southampton um, in the their, their home game, and, and you know you get nearly two to one for them to play uh, away at the worst team in the Premier League. Um, you've got to jump on that.
0: we'll go from what could be. A, a dull affair, shall we say, to to one that could be a really good one. And we can end on a high with Leeds versus Wolves. And it's going to be a good game to end, I think. Leeds have been one of the more exciting teams to watch this season. They had that 4-3 loss against Liverpool, the the 4-3 win against Fulham, a, a 1-1 draw with Man City where they, they should have won. Um, there was a, a, a 1-0, fairly boring win against Sheffield United, sandwiched in there as well. But... Um, th- I mean, in short, they give up a heap of chances, but they're also not too bad in front of goal either. Um, They certainly have to work on their defence if they're going to replicate what we saw from Wolves when they came up. And I mean, it's a decent start in terms of their results, but if you really look into those performances, they're not quite sort of top half of the table or, or where they really are in the table at the moment. Wolves are a side that, you mentioned about Manchester United, Man City, that they just haven't been themselves, I think. They they started well with a win against Sheffield United. They were competitive against Manchester City. I think it was a 3-1 loss in the end, wasn't it? But they didn't turn up against West Ham. They just about managed a, a 1-0 against a, a pretty, four, pretty poor Fulham side. Um I'm thinking the market might be overreacting a little bit here with the odds because Leeds are the favourites at 2.6. The draw is 3.33 and Wolves are 2.93. It is close. Wolves haven't looked like themselves so far, but 33% win probability against a a newly promoted side seems a little bit off to me, but I'd be interested to know what you think of these odds.
1: Yeah, we we agree with what you're thinking there, Ben. The market is, uh, I think, Slightly under underestimating Wolves and, and the model thinks that Wolves are a much better team than Leeds. So even with home advantage, we're giving Wolves a 42% chance of getting a win. So huge value in backing them. Um, it's something I can definitely get on board with. You mentioned it there, although Leeds were excellent against Manchester City. Really, really impressive and creating plenty of chances and also limiting City very well. The games prior um, against teams... Much less vibrant and, and fluent in attack against Sheffield United and, uh, and Fulham. They did struggle, especially to create. One point four expected goals against Fulham, one point three against Sheffield United, and then obviously, um, you know, clinical finishing the Fulham game put them in front. Um, but it was more fortune uh, against Sheffield United in defence, where they just didn't take their chances. One point seven expected goals in that match they conceded. So um, it's been a really interesting start from from Leeds. I think you know that we all expected them to stay up quite comfortably. It looks as though they're gonna do that. But the process does need to improve if, if they're gonna um you know if they're gonna finish any higher than, than the bottom half of the table. So far this season they've averaged one point four five expected goals four and, and two point zero four expected goals against per game. So they are looking a little bit vulnerable defensively. Um and you know I think that partly is down to the the you know the really intense press that they they put on their opposition and it works sometimes. Um, again, like it did against Manchester City, allowed them to win the ball high up and control the play. But other times it just leaves them exposed, um, as it, Liverpool proved in, on the opening day, scoring four times. So uh, really interesting to see how they set up against what is a very defensive minor Wolves team and a very defensive, defensively solid Wolves team. Um, they've only played three times this season. Uh, sorry, no, they've played four times this season, at Wolves, but two of them uh, were quite heavy defeats to Manchester City and, and West Ham. Games against Sheffield United and Fulham, ironically, um, they they won quite comfortably, keeping clean sheets in both, uh, creating more chances and better chances than both in on both occasions. So um, I think that's probably a better gauge for Wolves uh, how they're going to play in this match as opposed to against Manchester City. They, as I've said, they look a little bit leggy um, at the start of this season. Do Wolves and? I think you know they've brought in a few new faces. They need to that need to get settled, but I still see them as being one of the, the the main challenges for a top six spot. Obviously, two defeats already It's not ideal, but the performances in in games apart from the the West Ham one was you know they've been okay so far, and I think that that is probably a testament to their organisation skills as opposed to the quality that they have in the squad and the team. So I'd be definitely more inclined to look at under two and a half as well, um, as well as a Wolves win here. I think that we could be in for quite a low-scoring game. We've seen that in in Wolves' games against Sheffield United and Fulham. We've seen that in Leeds' matches against Sheffield United and Manchester City. So, I will not be surprised to see this book the trend of this, um, you know, crazy goal glut that we've seen recently. The unders can be backed at 56% on the market. Um, The model gives a 65% chance of under two and a half. So, you know, a huge amount of value there in, in, in opposing goals and, Definitely something I can get on board with every time Wolves play, really. And um, same for the both teams, well. teams to score as well. Markets pretty much split 50 50 on the fence. I think slightly 51% both teams to score. Yes. The models, 42% chance of both teams to score. Yes. So opposing goals is probably it, it, the way I would go in this one. I do think that Wolves are slightly underestimated in this and, and they are the value play.
0: All right. Well, I. Uh... I think it's a, we've got a week full of interesting games. That's one of, one of many for, for this weekend. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they are interested. Maybe it's just a sign of being glad that the, the Premier League's back after a week away. But I, I do appreciate your time, as always, Jake. Thanks for coming on and, and helping our listeners inform their predictions ahead of the weekend's action.
1: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting some Premier League football back in action.
0: Yeah, you and me both uh and th- thanks to everyone for listening as well remember that you can follow at infogold app on twitter visit infogold.net and download the app on ios and androids to help take that analysis to the next level you can follow at pinnacle on twitter of course um, and all the odds that we've discussed on today's show are available on pinnacle.com best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly